You're listening to Food Psych, a podcast about nutrition, eating disorders, and body image. I'm your host, Christy Harrison, and I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counselor specializing in health at every size. Join me as I talk with interesting people from all walks of life about their relationships to food. Hey guys, welcome to episode 59. I have an amazing guest for you today. Simi Bodich is my guest. She is a corporate attorney turned health coach, and she works with women to help guide them toward intuitive eating and accepting their bodies and breaking up with diets. And she's just so fantastic. We had such a great conversation. And uh, this conversation was actually the first time we ever connected. Our mutual friend Katie Dalebout connected us. So we kind of knew already we would like each other because Katie's wonderful and has great friends. Um, so we, we connected right away. But I hadn't met her in person until the live podcast episode recently. So it was really cool to meet her in person and to connect uh, IRL, as it were. But you'll be hearing our first conversation here uh, in just a moment. So I can't wait to share that with you guys. But first, I want to point you to a couple of great resources for helping improve your relationship with food. The first is my free quiz to assess your relationship with food and see how healthy it is. I'll send you your results via email along with more than a dozen personalized, individualized tips to help you make peace with food wherever you might fall on the spectrum right now. Take the quiz and get your results today at christyharrison.com quiz. That's christyharrison.com quiz. The second resource I want to share is my intuitive eating online course. It's a 13-week program that I created to help you work through all the principles of intuitive eating in depth and really demystify and troubleshoot the common areas where people tend to get stuck. I'll show you how to recognize the diet mentality even in its subtle forms and how to start substituting healthy thoughts instead. I'll share my secrets to making food and exercise choices from a place of self-care rather than self-control, and I'll teach you how to navigate emotional eating and how to stop alternating between restricting and overeating, and so, so, so much more. Several participants have shared that the course has helped them make peace with their quote off-limits foods already. As one participant put it after trying one of their quote-unquote bad foods, I felt free, sweet, sweet freedom. Why was I so afraid of this food? I doubt I'll feel the need to buy another package when this one's gone, but just knowing it's off the bad list tastes and feels like a huge epiphany. What a moment of power. Participants are also having major revelations about how the diet mentality is hanging on in hidden ways. As one participant put it, before doing this module, I really thought I had given up the diet mentality. Now I realize that although I consciously reject dieting, I still have plenty of work to do towards accepting myself as I am. It was great. It really helped me identify what I need to work on by bringing it to my full awareness. And yet another participant shared this beautiful revelation she had in the course. My worth is not my weight or my looks, but my heart, mind, and soul. I need to trade in my self-judgment for self-love and compassion. It feels impossible some days, but I'm going to do my best. I deserve it. If you'd like to join others on this intuitive eating journey and have some beautiful revelations of your own, go to christyharrison.com course to learn more and sign up. That's christyharrison.com course. 
And then finally, if you like the podcast and want to help us reach more people who need to hear the body positive message, you can leave us a great review on iTunes. And I really appreciate people who've left reviews so far. Just open up iTunes on your computer, type in Food Psych to the search bar, click the result that comes up under podcasts, and then go to the ratings and reviews tab. There you can leave a rating and reviews, sharing what you love about the podcast. And I'm so, so grateful for these nice reviews because they help bring us up in the ratings and help more people find these positive messages. So without any further ado, let's go talk to Simi Bodich. I spoke with her via Skype from her home in Columbus, Ohio. So tell me about your relationship to food growing up. Um, When I was growing up, I definitely had a positive relationship to food in the beginning, early childhood. Um, My mom worked full time, but somehow I'm not really sure how she did this, but she always had time to cook us a family meal and we sat down at the dinner table and ate together. Um, yes, I, (laughs) I'm like, I have no idea how she managed to do that now. Like as an adult, it baffles my mind, but yes, she somehow managed to do that. And the meals were always, um, really balanced. My mom, always encouraged us to eat vegetables and a variety of vegetables. And I've always had um, a taste for lots of different foods. So my diet was pretty varied and we had really like positive um, food environment in our home when I was little. I was, I at least experienced myself as being a chubby kid. When I look back at photos now of me as a child, I'm like, oh, I was just a a normal kid. But I always felt like I was a little bit chubbier on the heavy side and um, would look at my friends who were just naturally very, very skinny kids. And it's like I started comparing myself to them like as early as I would say like second or third grade, it started showing up. And so it was at that time where I started to think about wanting to be thinner and thinking about what I was eating, sort of feeling conscious of that and also very like self-conscious in my body. But the environment at home was still really positive. I was born in 1986. So, you know, I was growing up like in the mid 90s when obviously like there were a lot of fad diets going on. And so I think as I got older, I recognized things like, you know, my mom doing like Weight Watchers with girlfriends or like grapefruit diet or whatever it might have been and started to see, started to see that. But it was definitely something that she was doing on the side while still, you know, feeding my sister and I and, you know, my dad like the regular family meals. So there was also sort of that going on on the side, which I think pretty much like every woman in that generation can relate to seeing their mom go through because it was just so, it was so popular. And I think like the diet culture was really prevalent. And so I could hear her like talking about it with her friends. And it's different than now. Like now I feel like there's sort of people go on diets, but it's like disguised as being like really healthy. But at that time it was like, oh, I'm going on a diet. Like I would like to lose. Right. Right. And so there was sort of, you know, those three things going on, my family, like serving us like really healthy food and it being like a positive experience, me feeling kind of chubby. And then also like the nineties diet culture, like underlying all of that. 
Oh, I totally relate to that. The nineties diet culture. Like, yeah. Right. So <laughs> I lying love nineties for so many reasons, but not necessarily that. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. Although I was talking about some, this with someone else in the podcast recently. And it was like, I was saying that I feel like the above boredness of it, like the, the fact that everybody was pretty above board about wanting to lose weight then was like a little bit at least more straightforward than it is yeah. now. Cause now it's like under the guise of health and yet people still want it to be about weight loss and like, aren't necessarily saying mm -hmm. that. So it's almost like more insidious and dark. Sure. And it's dangerous now. I feel like, because when we say healthy, what we mean is skinny. Exactly. And so then that's really like, that's tricky and it, it plays with your mind. And it also, it also gives you sort of like this this cloak to maybe hide some disordered eating habits. I know, I mean, mm -hmm. and I'm sure we'll get into this, but I know I did that like in my, in my own life, calling it healthy when what I really meant was like, I'll do anything to be skinny. Right. Totally. So do you feel like that sort of diet culture of your childhood and seeing your mom modeling that as like, this is what an adult woman does. Do you think that played into your own desire to lose weight and like, you know, shape your body as you got older or... Is it more complex? Like, um, I think in a in a way, yes. Um, mm -hmm. My mom was always so so positive about my body. Like, I, she never once said anything mm -hmm. that you know was nothing critical about about me at all or my eating habits or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But what I will say is that when I saw that, and not just my mom, but you know, like the women around her and like other of my friends' mothers as well. And then like when I was able to start watching TV or reading magazines or whatever it was, just that diet culture, what it told me was that when you are an adult, you will need to lose weight. And I think, so I think for me, it was, it was just like, oh my gosh, the reality is when I get older, I'm not going to like my body and I'm going to have to lose weight. And so I think it was very like fear inducing in that way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So it kind of put the seed in your mind. Totally. Yes. And did you have friends at that age that were dieting or? Um, I think when friends that I had started dieting, that was probably later in middle school. Mm -hmm. God, it's still so young. I know, I know it is, it is crazy, but I would say that was around like seventh or eighth grade when mm -hmm. people started talking about food or it was like, oh, I shouldn't eat French fries at lunch or, oh, you know, I'm not going to have breakfast or I'm going to bring like an apple for lunch instead of eating like what's at school, those mm -hmm. kinds of things yeah. started coming up. Yeah. So the really disordered diet behaviors didn't, didn't mm -hmm. happen until later. So what happened like with your body image around that time? Do you feel like it got worse in puberty or? Yeah. So I think um, something that was I think I believe for me really impacted my relationship with my body and my journey with food. Um, right around the time that I hit puberty, I think like many like many humans, you get a growth spurt, mm -hmm. and so I sort of like grew out of my baby, you know, quote unquote fat, whatever mm -hmm. that is, like that sort of like chubby stage, and I don't know in terms of like oh I lost this many pounds or anything like that, but I went from being like a normal looking kid to to being fairly thin like really mm -hmm. quickly without needing to to do much of anything other than like you hit puberty. Yeah. And I think that gave me a sense of it almost like confirmed my fears about the world that when you mm -hmm. are thinner you get more attention. Oh. 
And so it was like I, I hit puberty and really like through no fault or effort of my own, either lost weight or my body composition changed or whatever mm-hmm. it might have been, but was suddenly thinner. And at the same time, like sports are really picking up. And I, I've never been a very – I've never been a super athletic person, mm-hmm. um, so never great at sports. So it wasn't really until middle school that I got into sports when there were teams. So then I started working out for the first time. And that – when that happened was when I wanted to stay small and continue to become smaller. Mm -hmm. And I would say that was like when the big switch like clicked for me. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting because I feel like a lot of people have a similar experience of inadvertent weight loss Mm -hmm. triggering the disordered behaviors. Because it's like you don't even know, you don't even recognize what you want and, you know, that you want to be in a thinner body, but then it just happens and you're totally. like, I have to hold on to this. This is right. what I want. You know? And then things like, oh, a popular boy like noticed me or, mm. oh, a popular girl like wanted to be my friend or mm. things like that start to happen. And it just, it really like confirms it for you. It's like, oh my gosh, I am more lovable when right. I'm thinner. Oh, Totally. Which there's so many complex reasons for that, I'm sure. But mm-hmm, absolutely, and of course, now looking back, I you know you can think of all the other reasons why mm-hmm. those things were happening. Yeah. But at the time, it's like, oh, this has nothing to do with me participating in sports with these people and getting to know them, or you know those those types of things. It's like, no, it's definitely because I like wear a smaller pant size. Right. Right. Oh God, I know how the young mind works. Mm-hmm. It's just very literal and like black and white. So did that set off like a chain of disordered eating then? Yep. From then on until just a few years ago, I would say that I was just in an awful cycle of disordered eating, which of course had peaks and valleys Mm -hmm. in it as many long journeys do. So, I mean, starting, I can remember like eighth grade and before like juice cleanses were a thing Mm -hmm. that there was this dole, it was like banana, orange, pineapple juice, Mm -hmm. you know, like most homes had juice that you would drink for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like I could go without food if I had like multiple cups of that throughout the day. Oh my God. And so it was like, I would try to not eat for days, like drinking this juice. And at the time, like you have sports practice after school. So a lot of times like you're missing family dinners So it was like the perfect storm of events to sort of let me like manipulate the situation without, you know, me needing to say to my family, like, I'm not eating dinner tonight. So that kind of thing started then. And, you know, just throughout high school and and college, I didn't even like know about calories until I got into college and started training for my first marathon and then started counting calories and did that like all through law school. It, it's like as, you know, the more that I got interested in it, the more research that I did, the more that I would, you know, find new plans or programs or like read an article with like with Britney Spears, like this is how Britney Spears lost and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. So it was really just, you know, a long a long cycle of trying of trying different things either to lose more weight or to stay at the same weight or to fix myself because also i think something that like doesn't get talked a ton about is that when you do lose weight and people compliment you the compliments eventually stop because you either that becomes how you naturally look 
or you're no longer losing weight or whatever it is. And so people are no longer complimenting you. And then that feels really scary. So I think it was a constant like quest for that external validation of my worth. Oh, that's such a great point. Because the compliments, like the external validation of any kind really Mm -hmm. is like ebbs and flows based on, you know, whatever whims of the people giving the validation. So it's not like it's going to be a constant source of confidence for you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Comes and goes. And that's such a great point too, that like if you have lost weight and look different and people remark on it, but then it stops being different to them, they're just like, that's how you look now. Totally. People aren't going to say anything. Mm -hmm. So so then it's like, oh, I must, I must need to lose more weight probably is the, the message that gets transferred, right? Like, I, I don't look good anymore, so I need to keep pushing myself or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm not worth noticing anymore. Right. Oof. Totally. So you felt like the only way to be noticed was to lose weight mm-hmm. in this artificially thin body. Sure. Totally. Mm-hmm. That's such a common and sad experience. Mm-hmm. Some yes. Have. Ugh. So, okay. So you went to law school too. I mean, that's really interesting because I feel like people, so you're a coach now, but I think people doing this work, it's very rare to find someone who's like gone the distance in another career. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, like really, really changed courses. So mm-hmm. what yeah. did that look like? So I went to law school after pretty much directly after undergrad. I graduated mm. a semester early. So I moved to Chicago Um, I did my undergrad at Miami University in Ohio, and then I moved to Chicago to do an internship with the Chicago Humanities Festival for a few months before I started law school. And, like, I loved law school. So Mm -hmm. some people, like, find that surprising, but I love being in school, and I had the most incredible group of friends in law school. I was part of the moot court team, and we just, like, totally bonded. So law school for me has a lot of really, like, positive um, warm feelings associated with it Mm. in that I felt like the people there that I met, like really got me. And it was one of the first times in my life where I felt like I could just relax and be my 100% self. But at the same time in law school, a few big things happened. One, I found out that I had celiac disease. So that was sort of a gateway for me to like hyper control my food because all of a sudden you have an excuse to not eat like a ton of things. And I mean, of course there, there was a fear at first, like cross-contamination. And I don't know if I can go to this restaurant, but with my history of like yo-yo dieting, it was a huge trigger for me. And so that diagnosis happened. And at the same time, law school is a, it's like a very disciplined environment. And I, I'm someone who can be extremely disciplined and extremely regimented. And I also can take that way too far. And so between like my celiac diagnosis and the super uh, regimented environment of law school, it was um, like the perfect breeding ground for my like disordered eating to kind of like go to an all-time high and I was able to restrict the most that I've ever been able to in that environment. And also my binges were the worst that they've ever been like intermittently during mm-hmm. that time too. Right. Do you feel like they went together? Like the more Yes, definitely. Yeah. 
definitely. Because, I mean, I was just craving so many things. I was craving fun and freedom and I was craving nutrients. (laughs) So all of that, you know, was going, was going together. Like my binges were symbolic of like all of my deprivation in so many different areas of my life. But the actual education part, I loved law school. Um, and then, yeah, I thought it was great. I would, if I could go back and do it all over again, I 100% would do it all over again. So after law school, I moved back from Chicago to Columbus, Ohio, because I got a job at a law firm here. And um, that was in the summer. And I took the bar exam and then got married that uh, October. So I started as an associate in September and got married a month later. And um, so a lot of changes all at once. Mm -hmm. And I like really like adult stuff too. Yeah. Everything's coming together in your life. It seemed like it was crazy because I had sort of been like a professional student until that point. And that's, I think that's one weird, weird thing about like a graduate education program is you are still in school. So you're living this like student life while many of your, many of the people who you went to college with are already like, they have 401ks and they have jobs. And so in a way it's like this awesome experience. And then in another way, you're like, oh my gosh, I, am I like behind on life? Like those two things go together. So yes, I emerged into the adult world <laughs> full force right? and started um, working at the law firm. And I practiced at that law firm for three and a half years until I, I left on January 1 of this year, 2015 to wow. start my business full time. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. Yes. So you must've been like well, so I'm just curious about so many things, actually, because there's like the celiac disease diagnosis, which I'm sure had, you know, s- uh, like a lot to do with or influenced and was influenced by your eating habits. Right. And then mm-hmm. the, you know, the decision to, to kind of completely change courses and start your own business. So sort of like want to go into both of those things. But sure. like so tell me like what the what the road to getting diagnosed with celiac disease was like and you know, how, how did that like play into the disordered eating? Mm -hmm. So I've always had a sensitive tummy, like my whole Mm -hmm. life. I, it was like actually a joke growing up. I, I would get sick like often, like just things would upset Mm -hmm. my stomach and also stress. Like I carry a lot of stress in my stomach. And so I would like end up getting sick, like maybe throwing up from, you know, not feeling well. Mm -hmm. And then like the joke was that I would look at my mom and be like, can you order me an Italian sub? Because like (laughs) I would be like hungry right afterwards. So Uh. I've always, my whole life had um, just a stomach that was easily, easily upset. Mm -hmm. And when I started in law school, first year in law school, I was training for a marathon. I was in law school. So I think there were a lot of stressors. Mm -hmm. But at the time, it felt really normal. It was like, well, yeah, this is like what this is supposed to feel like. And so a lot of stress going on, and my stomach was just upset all the time. And so I thought like, okay, I'm used to that. Like I'm used to it being upset, but it was it was more than usual. So my stomach in the morning would always be like really, really bloated and like hard, almost like a, like a pregnant belly. Mm. And my husband and I joked that I kept – I kept um, like Target in business because we lived right next to a Target and I would buy like so many pregnancy tests because I was like, I must be pregnant. Like that's the only explanation for this. Like I'm sick. My stomach's bloated. Right. Um, But I wasn't. And so I had just this really bloated stomach. My hair was falling out in huge chunks. Oh my God. Yeah. It was crazy. 
And I would have like breakouts, hormonal irregularities. And on top of that, I mean, I was really, really anxious mm-hmm. and could get like really down and sad. And I, I know I mentioned before that I am a very disciplined person. Mm-hmm. So I was able to like push through and make myself do all the things that I needed to do. But there would be times where it felt like I had to use every ounce of energy just to do like my daily things, mm-hmm. which probably had some bit to do with like my restriction and overexercise. But also one of the, you know, one of the things that often goes along with celiac is anxiety or depression because your body is not absorbing nutrients the way that it should be. Right. And right. so and the hair loss would probably yeah be a symptom of that as well. Oh. Yes, absolutely. So I had all those things going on and I was like, this, it cannot be right. Like I, I know something's wrong with me. And so luckily University of Chicago has like a celiac center. And so I was able to go, my gastroenterologist recommended me to go there. And so they did the blood test to confirm that I had, that I was carrying the gene for it. And then they did the endoscopy and, you know, saw like the damage and were able to like, confirm the diagnosis. Oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you found like really good diagnostic people right away. Yes. It was so amazing to literally be a train ride away mm-hmm. from this incredible center that like took the things that I was saying to them seriously mm-hmm. because I did see my regular doctor first and he was like, well, may, you know, I don't know, maybe you should like not drink coffee or maybe you have leaky gut or whatever it might be. And I was like, it just doesn't seem right to me. And so in the midst of trying between the time of when I was feeling really sick and got my diagnosis, I went vegan because I was reading online that there was all this stuff about like, if you have leaky gut, like you, you know, you should not eat meat and Mm. like all these different articles Right. And of course, so you everyone, got down this like wrong diagnosis rabbit hole, and then yes, totally. And of oh. course, like everyone, you know, has their own like formula for how to like deal with mm-hmm. things like that. So then I got really into like all this vegan stuff, and I was eating like really this really like restrictive vegan diet. And of course, not all not all vegans are restrictive, but right. I was restrictive, mm-hmm. and then and still getting totally sick every single day. So I was really relieved to get to get the diagnosis. Yeah, I bet. That must have felt like just such a breath of fresh air. <laughs> yes, yes. But then I became a gluten-free vegan. And mm-hmm. so it was like just sort of perpetuated that cycle. Yeah, completely. Well, it's so interesting. I'm thinking about parallels in my own journey because like I had mm-hmm. an eating disorder that was undiagnosed for a while. And during that time, I lost my period and I was having like anxiety, depression, breakouts, dry skin, like a lot of the same stuff that people will have with celiac disease. Mm-hmm. And I actually at the time had a friend who had who had just been diagnosed. And so she was telling me about all the symptoms and I was like, I have that. I have mm-hmm. that. Oh my God, I probably have celiac disease. And it was like, it felt like this sort of magic bullet that you know, because a couple of people, including my mom, had said to me, like, Christy, I wonder if like your weight loss is actually what's causing all this stuff. And maybe if you regained a little bit of the weight that you lost, you might, you know, see your period come back and some of these other symptoms subside. And I was like, just completely in denial and refused to believe that had anything to do with it. So, mm-hmm. you know, right at the time that I was so hardcore denying that and not letting anybody really push me, I 
discovered that like, oh, maybe my symptoms are caused by celiac disease and I can just go gluten free and everything will be fine. And like, no, that did not work because I mean, and they, you know, did some blood tests and I did not have the gene. I did not have the diagnosis. And so that was sort of the medicine doing its job. Right. But like Mm -hmm. for me, I was kind of in a place where I was starting to rail against Western medicine and feeling like doctors don't know what they're doing. And, you know, I probably do have some problem with gluten. Nobody's just found it yet. So like I went down this, you know, kind of how you did, it sounds like with veganism, maybe I went, you know, hardcore gluten-free thinking like, well, this is going to solve all my problems. And really the issue was not gluten at all, but Mm -hmm. the, the eating disorder. So you know, it's such a journey for all of us, I think, to find like what really is causing what and the true, like healthy way to be. Uh, Absolutely. It's like just, sometimes it can feel like when you're in it, like one experiment after another. (laughs) Yes. And I think the culture we're in now too, really like fans the flames of that experimentation on self, like, Mm -hmm. which is, it's so unscientific. It's so hard to really be scientific about yourself, you know, your own diet, your symptoms after you eat certain things. Like how can you tell, you know? That's why I just think it's, there's like nothing more empowering than like giving a woman the ability, helping like the woman find her inner voice mm-hmm. so that she can just connect with herself like over and over again every single day and like mm-hmm. doesn't need to kind of like get into all the stuff that's floating around. It's like you can empowering her to be able to listen to her own body's voice and what she really needs. Because I, I mean, I didn't listen to my own body for like years and years. Like that concept was so foreign to me. Totally. Although it sounds like your intuition was at least still there a little bit when you were like, I don't know if this doctor's explanation is right. I'm going to pursue like a, you know, another diagnosis. And you did like, so Mm -hmm. like something in there was maybe the intuition was still, was still talking to you a little bit, but it was clouded over by lots of other stuff too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you went like gluten-free vegan. So kind of even more restrictive than you had been before. Mm -hmm. Did that, was that kind of the point in law school when like everything hit the fan when it was like the worst? Yeah. 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 That's when it got like the most restrictive. And on top of that, I was counting calories. And so it was like, (laughs) I was like, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'll do everything. And Mm -hmm. like, this will work at the same time. (laughs) Right. Cause yeah, a little bit of this thing supposedly works. So a lot of everything is going to be. Sure. Yeah, totally. And it did. I mean, I did like, I lost weight and Mm -hmm. then of course gained it back because you won I mean, it got to the point where I was doing everything that I had been doing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even that I was, I mean, I would have like the occasional binge, but it wasn't even like a, like an extended binge where like I just couldn't stop eating for days or weeks or whatever it was, whatever like it might be. It was just the occasional binge, but I was still doing everything that I was doing. And without changing anything, my body literally just started to gain weight. It was like, screw this. Like, we clearly, like, can't trust, like, this situation anymore. Like, we're just going to start gaining weight. Yeah. And so it did. And then, of course, that's happening. As that's happening, I'm feeling, like, so out of control because I don't know, like, what else to do. I'm like, what? I'm doing literally everything. Like, what else am I going to do? So at that time, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get off of birth control. I bet this is birth control doing this to me. So I went off of birth control and then, of course, was dealing with like post-pilomenorrhea. Mm-hmm. 
And then like binges started happening. And so all of that sort of super restriction backlash Mm -hmm. all hit me at once, which I know it does for many, many women. Like I, I hear so many women that are like, I'm doing everything in my body, still gaining weight. And it's like, oh, I know that feeling. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause you've turned down your metabolism, Mm -hmm. restricted yourself so much. Your body thinks it's starving. Totally. Oh, yeah. And I think it's it's really good and powerful to talk about that aspect of restrictive dieting because like there's just such a myth in our culture and such a myth among people who have eating disorders too that like if I really, you know, did the anorexia right or if I really did the right. diet right, then I would lose weight and keep it off permanently. But mm-hmm. that's not true. Like the vast, vast, vast majority of people, you know, regain the weight and then some. Like it's not, it's not possible to trick your body into starving forever. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. So that's like probably was a wake up call to you. Yes, it was. It was totally a wake up call and a really scary one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So what? So you went off the pill and then you had the binges and were you like? At that point, because I know this happened to me and so many people I see as clients, like the binges are what make people realize, oh, I have a problem, like mm-hmm. not the restriction. It's like they don't think the restriction's a problem, but then they see the binges and they're like, okay, this is a problem. I'm out of control with food. I'm bad. I'm broken. Like rather than, oh, I was restricting myself and this is the outcome. <laughs> yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. I, because Well, like we were talking about earlier, I feel like right now, as long as someone's like skinny, like in our culture, we are calling them healthy or we're saying that like we want to be healthy when we want to be skinny. So Mm -hmm. as long as what you're doing is working to keep you skinny, then you're not going to think that it's a problem because we put this Mm -hmm. like up on a pedestal. So it's going to feel like you're winning or you're doing it right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I think absolutely. the only time where you think, oh, like crap, I've got a problem is when you're moving like away from that. And, you know, for many women that happens, like when the binges start. Right. Exactly. And even if it doesn't happen, it's like the fear of it happening is totally is the scary part. You know, like even if you're not gaining any weight, but you're like, well, this is something that could cause me to gain weight. So absolutely. Yeah. Or it feels like, oh, my gosh, my willpower is failing or like my discipline mm-hmm. is like sliding through my fingertips. Right, exactly. Why can't I control this? I I have done such a good job of controlling myself thus far. I'm slipping. Yeah. Ugh. It's a really insidious thing because it's it's like not looking at the origin of the problem as being diet culture in the first place or mm-hmm. the mandate, you know, the perceived mandate to be thin as the problem in the first place. Like Sure. And I think like we don't even realize well, I mean some people are having this conversation, but Mm -hmm. as a whole, I don't think our society even realizes that we have a diet culture right now. I don't think so either. It's like what we were talking about earlier with like the nineties, like there was a clear Mm -hmm. diet culture and like we knew, you know, what that looked like. It was like low, the low fat fad and like you Mm -hmm. did it to lose weight or the cabbage soup diet or the grapefruit diet or whatever it was. Like people Mm -hmm. called it, you know, diets and they did it to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone at that time too knew that those things weren't like long-term things. They were like, I'm going to do this to lose or whatever it is. And now it's like, we don't even have a diet culture. We have like, we have, you know, 
health community. Like it's like healthy. Right. Like wellness. How, yeah. yeah, exactly. Fitness. Wellness. It's like, oh, like this is like a, like a, you know, holistic wellness community. <laughs> right. Right. I know. It's crazy. Like the people who are still going on about dieting and wanting to lose weight are sort of like seen as gauche or not with the times or something like right. The, totally. The new way to do it is just be healthy. Like, just mm-hmm. don't eat carbs. Just don't eat gluten. Mm-hmm, totally. It's like it will Ugh. like that. That's going to – I mean and as someone who has like celiac disease, I think people always think that I think gluten is like the devil. Right, right. And I, I'm always – I always say like there's nothing wrong with – like there's nothing inherently wrong with gluten. Like if your body reacts like well to gluten, like many people's do, like you are – you can totally – you have permission to eat gluten. Like there's nothing – terrible inherently about it. But I, I like see people all the time, you know, like engage in conversation with me and they're like, yeah, like gluten, like it's awful. Right. It's like, well, I mean, clearly like my body doesn't react well to it, but that doesn't mean that like it's, it's not right for you. Right. Exactly. That's such a great point. I mean, celiac disease is a genetic inability to process gluten. Like, right, exactly. <laughs> if you don't have that, then you're fine with gluten. It's okay. Totally. <laughs> right. Ugh. Or an allergy. I guess that's the other the other reaction you could have. But barring those things, you know, this gluten intolerance thing that people will diagnose themselves with, I think, is just so problematic because, you know, it's if it's not celiac disease, celiac disease, and it's not an allergy and you think you're having all these symptoms related to gluten, but you're also trying to restrict yourself and you're also like, you know, cutting out other things. Like how can you possibly know what's, what's causing the problems? I feel like it also steals, like it, it takes away a person's ability to decide like what works for them. Mm-hmm. Like if we're talking about gluten, like if you eat it, you're the most awful person like on the entire planet, mm-hmm. then how is someone going to feel safe eating it and seeing if it works for them or not. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I know. Like you're stigmatized automatically. Right, totally. You're like something. you're like you're the monster that eats gluten. Right, right. <laughs> Did you start to feel that way when you were in your disorder when you were starting when you were like down this rabbit hole of restriction? Yeah, I mean, I think that there I think that there were you mean, did I start to feel like preachy? Like I was like telling people what to eat? Yeah. Or like, you know, gluten is the devil, like, you know, a non-vegan diet is the devil or whatever. Um, I think, well, for me, yes. Like I would make judgments about myself, but I didn't want to tell anyone else that because I didn't want to draw attention to my eating habits. So I my experience and who knows, maybe I would have like friends or family be like, you are so freaking preachy. But like, I don't, in my experience, I tried to not talk Mm -hmm. about it because I really did not want to draw attention because I think there was a part of me that, well, it, it really goes back to the diet culture thing. There was a part of me that felt embarrassed that I was doing things to try and lose weight. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that wasn't cool or that wasn't you know, like allowed. Mm -hmm. So I was like hiding the fact that I was dieting and instead just saying like, oh, I just, you know, I just made some changes to be healthier and was like putting that out there by trying to like, trying not to share many, too many like details or anything like that, Mm -hmm. because I really didn't want anyone to like notice what I was doing. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. So you're kind of isolating yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. 
made you probably less preachy, but also more isolated. (laughs) Yes. And I mean, definitely I can remember like multiple instances where I would just like snap like at a, at a friend or like a family Mm -hmm. member because I felt so like protective of what I was doing that when people started to like notice that, you know, oh my gosh, you're drastically losing weight or oh my goodness, you don't like look well, like your face Mm -hmm. is sunken in those kinds of things that I was just like, no, like, like I'm fine. Like I'm wearing like the same clothes that I always wore and like Mm -hmm. nothing, like nothing's changed and I'm fine. And I'm just trying to do like what's right for me. And you know, I don't tell you what to do. Like, why are you trying to tell me what to do? So definitely some of those for the most part, like kept myself, but any, any time that I felt like someone was trying to like take it away from me or would do Mm -hmm. something that would make me gain weight, I was like, you know, a snapdragon. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Oh, I can relate to that. And I'm sure anyone who's struggled with this stuff can relate. It's like, I know. I feel like I need to be like, sorry, family. <laughs> right. Oh. This is a public apology <laughs> to everyone who I snapped at. I know it really changes your personality, right? It's like mm, yes. this thing that you're suddenly really guarded about. Like it's it's almost like the ring in Lord of the Rings. Or I was literally <laughs> thinking about that. I was like, oh my gosh, I all of a sudden have like a hunchback and like yes. I'm just everyone's scout. Like, look at yeah. <laughs> It's so true. Yeah, it does. It just like warps your your mind. And it's funny how like talking to people who recovered, they're like, well, how was I ever like that? You know, like you feel so bad for what you put your, oh, your people like through. It's like awful. It's so awful. But I mean, honestly, it's all you think about. So you're not even like in a state to be thinking about like how you're making other people feel or being present with people around you. Like I didn't even know what being present was mm-hmm. for like 10 years because all I knew was that I was like obsessed about food all the time. Right. Obsessed about food and trying to also get everything else done in your life. Right. So it's like totally. the time to be present. So what changed? Like what snapped you out of that mode? Um, there was a moment on my honeymoon where it was like the last night on our honeymoon and I had, you know, eaten like some French fries or something, probably had a glass of wine. Who knows? I Mm -hmm. I think it was French fries. Something where I was like unsure of what I had just put into my body. And I was like, oh, I had a freak out. And I was like in the bathroom. I locked myself in the bathroom, Mm -hmm. our um, hotel room. And I was like sobbing. And I just felt like so disgusting. I was like saying the most awful things about myself. And I feel like I just realized then that like, oh my gosh, this is like ruining these life moments that I'm never going to get back. Mm. Like I'm literally missing out on my life. Like hopefully, I mean, I like love my husband more than anything in the world. And so I hope that, you know, we're together forever. So I hope I never go on another honeymoon. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> right now that's my plan. One, one and done. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I feel like I was thinking, I was just like, shit, like I just ruined my I just like ruined my honeymoon. Mm. And of course now I can look back and like know that there were good moments and stuff, but mm. it was, I just realized like everything that it was like stealing from me. Oh yeah. That's powerful. It's, it's like noticing how it's affected your life in such a, an acute way. Mm-hmm. Totally. Wake up call. Yes. So I, I went back and, um, Tim was like, I really think like we need to, I really think we need to 
like do something about this. And I had seen like nutritionists and stuff in the past. And I had seen, um, a psychiatrist and a psychologist like for my anxiety, mm-hmm. but I got back and I was just like, I have to figure something out. So I don't even remember what I Googled, but I must've Googled something. And I came across a health coach who lived in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, her name was Amy and she's wonderful. And I ended up calling her and we set up like a consultation and it was probably just not long, like after, after I got married and we set up a consultation and I was down in Atlanta, Georgia for a wedding. And I remember like stepping out of the hotel and like talking to her on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. And I'm someone who, when I'm like processing things, I like to pace. Mm -hmm. So I was like (laughs) pacing on the sidewalk. I'm sure it looked like crazy, Mm -hmm. but, and like sobbing to her. And I was just like, Mm -hmm. I don't like, how much is it? I don't care. Like, can I just sign up? Like, can you help me? And I just felt like I was at like such a, such a breaking point. And now I, I mean, I know Amy so well now, so I'm sure she was like so kind and wonderful, but honestly, like, I don't even remember anything that Mm -hmm. she said. I was just like, Oh, cool. Like thousands of dollars done. (laughs) Like I'm like, I will pay you a million dollars. I don't Mm -hmm. have it, but like, I'll find it. And so, um, started working with her and that was really like the start of me like calming down, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like I, I feel like that was the, the biggest thing was just like, learning how to be a little bit more like present and a little bit more relaxed Mm -hmm. and not quite so obsessive and sort of quieting like a lot of the noise. Like I just remember I would sit down in my sessions with her and feel like I couldn't even like focus on her because I had so much noise like buzzing around in my head. And so she really just helped me like quiet a lot of that noise because that's like, that's where I was then Mm -hmm. and that's what I needed. So that was the start of, um, of getting to, just like a really like happy, wonderful place with my body and food and in my life. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. So you started to sort of turn down the voices that were telling you like, do this, do that with your food, Mm -hmm. change your body or whatever. Yeah. And just like stopped beating myself up so much. Mm, Yes. That goes such a long way. I feel like is really the key. I mean, it's, it's interesting because like, I think almost everyone I've talked to on the podcast and almost everyone I've talked to in my practice, like who has overcome this, like self-acceptance has been a key ingredient or like the main ingredient to Mm -hmm. the the recovery. So like when you found that, or when you started to find that, did it help you open up to, to different foods or feeding yourself more and like being less restrictive with yourself? It helped me do two really big things. The first was I stopped calorie counting, mm-hmm. which was just the most liberating thing in the entire <laughs> yeah. world. It's so crazy to me to think about like counting calories right now. I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds so exhausting. Like I, I can't imagine. Um, so that was like a big thing, just like releasing that and learning to find like a little bit of joy with food. That started then, just being able to sit down and like just enjoy a meal. Mm -hmm. That was really nice and something that I hadn't experienced in a long time. And also stopped like obsessively like weighing myself. Mm. So those were three really big things that happened during that time. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, stopping weighing yourself is such a revelation. (laughs) It's so crazy. There are days where now I think, I'm like, you know what? It's so crazy to me that like, I used to get on the scale and it would affect like how I felt about myself. Mm -hmm. And now I'm just like, I'm just going to be happy today. And like, I don't have to check in with like a number to let me know if that's okay. Yes. Oh, 
That's it's such a good feeling. Amazing, amazing feeling. Because why does that number hold so much power? Like, I know so many people, and I used to do this too, like start the day on the scale. That determines whether you are having a good day, whether you're having a bad day, whether you beat yourself up over what you ate last night, whether you feel like you have to double down on whatever restrictions you had yesterday. Like, it's just mm-hmm. crazy. Yes. And it like just takes away again, like you're, I feel like there's so many things that rob you of your ability to like connect with your body and like weighing yourself is one of them. Mm, Completely. Yeah. And calorie counting is another too, like that sort of mathematical and numbers oriented approach to like (laughs) what is really just a natural process. Totally. So yeah, just throwing those out the window must've been very healing. It was great. It was just sometimes like I'll just sit and kind of like giggle to myself, like thinking about that. I'm like, oh, that was that was like silly. I'm glad that's done. Yeah. Did I mean, t- obviously it wasn't silly when it was happening, but like right. now in hindsight. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Did you trust it at first? Were you like, this no, is gonna... I was so freaked out. I was oh, like, yeah. oh my God, this is crazy. Like I'm going to gain 20,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. I won't be able to fit into any of my clothes. But of course the crazy thing that happened was, and again, like I, you know, I don't weigh myself, so I can't say numbers, but I definitely know that I like released some weight that my body was holding on to because it thought that it was in a starvation mode. Mm-hmm. And my clothes fit better, and I had to go buy new clothes. And my body settled itself somewhere between when I had, you know, starved it down and when it was, you know, overcompensating for being starved. And Mm -hmm. like my happy place is somewhere, you know, numerically unknown, but like in the middle. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting that like your restriction actually made you gain more weight as a result. And like when you, when you gave that up, it's like, it's a counterintuitive thing that, you know, people don't always think is possible, but. Totally. Yes. It's, and I think I think the thing is that like if you are honoring your body with your choices and doing it in a loving way, then your body will be wherever she needs to be. And for some people that means, you know, releasing some weight and for some people it means like putting weight on. Mm-hmm. And it means different things like at different stages in like in your life. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, so like it's I always say it's like putting the cart before the horse if you like fixate on a number because your behaviors and your attitude around food and, and, you know, movement and all of it, like can be really restrictive and be like this, this horse that's pulling along the cart of your weight to a a too low place, or it can Mm -hmm. be, you know, really loving and like gentle and great. And it pulls along the cart to like where it needs to go. So totally. It's so true. And I mean, for me, Personally, like I got to a place where I physically couldn't control my weight anymore. Mm -hmm. It was like nothing that I did helped. It only made it worse. And I think that a lot of women can can relate to that. And Mm -hmm. so that was, I mean, I was sort of at a place like when I gave up calorie counting where I was just like, well, this is terrifying and scary. And also like, what else am I going to do? I guess this is like my only option at this point because like nothing else is working. And so you know, I think that that helped me like release it. Also working with someone helped me because she could like help talk me through things and like bring me back to reality when I was in my head, like buzzing around. 
And so that was like really helpful to have that like grounding, loving voice that I couldn't be for myself at the time, but she was able to start like to speak that into my life. And then I was able to like find that voice within me because then I knew how to recognize it. But before that, you know, I had spent years like not wanting to be myself or like not wanting to have my body or like not, I definitely didn't want to listen to myself because I was like, are you kidding me? Like she doesn't want what's best for me. Like she just wants to you know, be like gross and disgusting. And if I do what she says, like I'll, who knows what will happen, you know? And so I think that was like the real turning point was just having like that, that kind, loving voice in my life who I could talk to. And of course I had like friends and family members who would have loved to have been that for me, but I wasn't ready to like let someone who like I knew and loved like in like that. And so it was really nice to have this like third party who I could just open up to and share like honest, scary things that like I wouldn't, I didn't feel ready to share with my family at that time. Absolutely. I know it's so vulnerable. It's not something you want to let anyone into who like really knows you, I think. Totally. Yeah. So, and also probably I would imagine your coach was able to kind of give you some like myth busting, you know, evidence on like, it's not going to, you know, you're not going to be out of control. You're not going to gain weight indefinitely, like Mm -hmm. stuff that maybe friends and family couldn't have told you with such authority or you wouldn't have believed. Totally. Definitely. Yeah. Well, and of course she had like a similar story. So Mm -hmm. she could like speak truth into my life and kind of like be like a mirror for me, which was what I needed at that time. Because like all I knew was the dieting articles and like books that I had read and I didn't Mm -hmm. know anyone at the time, or at least I didn't realize that I knew them if I did, Mm -hmm. who was sort of, you know, doing this like quote unquote intuitive eating thing. Then she didn't even call it that. But like Mm -hmm. now I know I'm like, oh, I was like learning to listen to my body. I was learning to like tap into my intuition. And so it was the first really like healthy, what I would consider healthy role model in my life, like in my adult life. And so that was really cool for me. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So it's because it is really rare to find a woman who you can look to as a model for a good relationship to food and their body. Totally. And someone who you can talk to about it and you don't have to worry about hurting their feelings. Like, I think that's a big thing for people who like so many women struggle with body image and food. And it's like, I don't want to, you know, share this with maybe like a parent or friend. I don't want them to feel like they had any part in me being like this you don't want to make them feel guilty because, you know, it's, or them think that it's their fault. And so I think that is part of why it's so hard to open up to the people who really know us because you don't want to like put any of that on them. Totally. Yeah. I actually went through a phase with my stuff where I was like very angry at my family and like, you know, kind of lashed out and did take some, like, you know, tell them some stuff that, I regret saying now, cause now I'm able to see like, it wasn't their fault either. Really. It's, we're all kind of swimming in the same crazy pool of diet culture mm-hmm. and you know, fat phobia. And like, you know, I, I think we all have, you know, in my family, like all a genetic predisposition to perfectionism and like, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that like, we're all struggling with. It's not that you know, my parents did bad, <laughs> like that they totally they were bad and wrong. You know, it's like, we all kind of have this thing that we're working through and struggling with. And Right. And I feel like as you know, like now, I mean, the, the conversation, like that, it, the conversations that we've been having today and that like, you know, many people like in this movement are having, 
they're obviously like they're big to us, but it's still like a, a small voice, like in the larger picture. And so like, hopefully it will become more and more mainstream and, you know, then more people will be able to talk to themselves like this and talk with their friends like this. And that is so like, that just like fills my heart with so much love to think about that. But if I'm like, well, if I was a mom, like in 1992, like I would have been doing like Weight Watchers with my best friends too. Like, duh. You know what I mean? Like that's what was popular and that's what people were doing and that's what people were talking about. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's not their fault that they were just doing the things that like the media was like telling them was cool and that they needed to do. And they were, you know, just participating in stuff with their, with their friends. But hopefully like as this conversation that we're having grows stronger, this will be the kind of thing that like moms will be sitting around like the table talking about and then their kids will hear that and mm-hmm. that will, you know, create really like positive ripples. I so hope so. That's very much the reason I would do this work. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you too. It's like just to, you know, make any sort of dent in this decades long institution of diet culture, like would be so amazing. And, and it is happening in small pockets. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, it needs to be more. So spreading the word is always going to be important, I think. Absolutely. How did you get from like law school and going through this transition yourself to deciding to do the work to do your own coaching practice? So I went, I worked with my own health coach for like six months. And then that put me into basically like my second year as an attorney. And I continued to practice for two and a half more years after that. So I continued to explore my relationship with myself and started to like to dig deep into like quote unquote self-help things, but that were more about like my soul and my spirit and, you know, like Gabby Bernstein and like things like that. So I started to get more into that and just explore who I am and who I wanted to be and like, what is my purpose and just a lot of like prayer and um, like going to church more and reading my Bible and doing all of that stuff and just trying to connect with like really like what is my soul asking for. And it didn't take too long for me to figure out that that was not a lifelong career as an attorney. And it had truly never been like a dream of mine to be an attorney. It was just circumstances like worked out and that's where I ended up. And like I mentioned before, if I could do it over again, like I would go to law school and if I could do it over again, I would practice also, it was, I learned a lot about myself during that experience and a lot about healthcare. I was a corporate healthcare attorney. And I think that I needed the lessons that I learned while I was practicing to run the business that I'm running now in the way that I'm running it. And so I started to explore like what would really be interesting to me. And I mean, I don't even remember like where I read this question, but I mean, we see it all the time. It's like, if you could do something for the rest of your life, if you had a million gajillion dollars and like you never had to make any money, like what would you want to read about or learn about or do for the rest of your life? Like if money didn't matter. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just love, I love reading about socialization. I was a a sociology major in undergrad and I was really interested in like gender stratification and all of that. And so I was like, I love thinking about like the women's role in society and how we relate to one another. And also like health. I love reading about our bodies and I love reading about 
food. And that's still something that I'm really like interested in, passionate about. Of course, in the past, like I've taken it to an extreme, but it's really something that like I love and I'm passionate about. And so I talked to Amy, who was my coach uh, originally, and she was like, you should totally consider going to IAN. And so I looked into it and I was like, okay, this is something I could do like while I'm still practicing and I could do it on the side and I could just see what happens. And so I ended up going to IAN and while I was still practicing, I started just seeing like a few clients early in the morning before I would go into the office or late in the evening. And I did a group program and it was really fun. And like when I was coaching, I lit up in a way that like I've never felt in my entire life before and just it felt so right and so in line with like who I am and also like who I wanted to become. And so I just started to make plans with my husband to transition from my practice of law into my practice as a health coach. And so the whole transition took about six months. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's that's a very cool process that, you know, because I think sometimes people have to like work part-time or never really get it off the ground right away. So to have that sort of intention and that like obvious moment of this is it, like this is what I want to do is, is very powerful. It was, it was such a good feeling. And so it was just so fun to plan and execute and to be able to have this thing that I took ownership of um, that was so me mm-hmm. because I just hadn't felt up until that point, like I had done anything that was like really me. Mm. And I worked with, during the time where I was transitioning, I worked um, with Elle Griffin, who's now like a really good friend. And she really helped me connect with like my femininity and how that like would show up at my business. And that was really cool because I had never thought of, you know, like masculine versus feminine energy. That was all really Mm. new to me. And so that was really neat to have that help of um, bringing out like that side of me and that, that part of my voice and letting that shine through in the business. How do you think that's changed how you do business or the concept of your business? Oh my gosh. It's so, it's changed everything. Like how I, how I work now is so different than when I was at the law firm. I really just believe so much in quality over quantity and in trusting that like the right things will present themselves to me. Mm-hmm. And I can't even tell you how many times that I've like pushed for something since I started this business and it never happens. Mm-hmm. And then literally it's like something that I didn't push for at all will like roll into my inbox. It's been the craziest thing. And God just reminds me over and over again that he is in control of this and that all I have to do is like show up and like be willing to do what he has planned for me and that he will take care of the rest. And that has been incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like the sort of serendipity of certain opportunities. Uh, like, totally. You've just opened up to that in a way that maybe you wouldn't have before. Yes. And it's just, I mean, I feel like my business is all about like trust and openness mm-hmm. and rather than like pushing or fear. Mm-hmm. And of course I still have like pushing slash fearful moments, but they're never fruitful. And I'm quickly reminded that that is not the way to do things. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I hear you on that. It's so interesting, this process of becoming your own boss, right? And going into mm-hmm. business for yourself because- It's so crazy. Oh, it's crazy. It's And it's like, yeah, it's so much fear and trust that is required to do it in the first place, to like jump without a net or maybe, you know, some net, but not like the net of a corporate structure and, a, you know, a boss telling you what to do. Like you're the one who has to do it all. And yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. So like 
Did you feel like learning to trust your intuition really came in handy there too? 100% yes. I could not have started my business like a day before I started it. Mm. Yeah. I would not have been, I would not have been ready. I would not have had like the faith in myself or been able to like listen to my voice and, and trust that. And I'm like love working with coaches and the coach that I'm working with right now, Jamie Mendel, she's helping, she helps me continually apply everything that I know to be true about like food and my relationship with my body and and she helps me continually apply it to my business. It's like intuitive businessing. Oh yes, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so it's been so it's been so so cool. I love I love working with her and I love like seeing how my business has changed since I have been so intentional about that. Mm-hmm. And that's been really awesome. Yeah. How's it evolved into what it is now? Well, first when I started coaching, you know, it was kind of what you imagine like the standard health coaching, like, okay, like drink more water and like, like maybe, you know, move your body more, whatever it was. And it's now evolved to this practice where women who like, when I think of my ideal client, like these are the women who are coming to me and like wanting to work with me. And these women are so, so like passionate about getting to know themselves and learning how to take care of themselves both physically and emotionally and are like so ready to just peel back all the layers of like the outside noise and the guilt and the shame and all of that and just really find out who they are in such an authentic and real way and learn how to celebrate that even like when it's tough. And it's just been so incredible. Like I Every day when I see like the clients that I'm talking to, I just get so excited because truly like every single woman that I'm working with right now, I feel like we, like that our hearts were like created to connect at some point like in our lives. And so it just feels like there is a lot of, it just feels really in the flow. And I don't have to just talk about like kale and like spinach and coconut water with my clients, which like are things right. that I just don't care about at all. It's like okay. I get to talk to them about how they're caring for themselves emotionally and like, oh, you binged. It's not because you don't have willpower because you, you know, aren't eating like the right afternoon snack. Like what else is going on here? Like, what are you dealing with emotionally? What are you putting down? Like, what aren't you saying? Like, what's your truth around this? Like just so cool to get to talk to them about like the real, the real things and see like real transformation happens. And then to see the things that they're able to do in their lives like how fully they're able to live when they're so tapped into that, to that intuitive voice inside of them. And also like when they're not like beating themselves up, it's not that it's not that I work with women and like all of a sudden their relationship with their bodies and food is perfect. I mean, neither is mine, like no one's is, but they are just so like kind and loving towards themselves and they're able to like move forward with such beautiful momentum. And so that's like really, that's been so cool to see that, um, to see that evolve. And I just get such, I get like such joy from the business. And the more that I get to know myself, the more that I feel like the business like really, really reflects who I am. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like it reinforces your own recovery too, to be working with people who are like constantly mirroring how you used to feel or yeah, there's Mm -hmm. that quote. That's like, we only get to keep what we give away. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like that doing this work, like I just get to keep like my joy in my life because Mm. 
that's like the energy that I like give away all day long. And that's, you know, like what this work is, like the stuff that I'm putting out into this world. Like I can't imagine anything that like I would rather keep myself, you know? Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. So tell me about the program. How does it work? Like, is it one-on-one coaching? Is it a group program? So I work with clients two ways right now. One is one-on-one for Mm -hmm. six months. And then I also have a virtual intuitive eating program that I co-created with my great friend and business partner, Paige Schmidt. She lives out in California. And we met like through our blogs and we talked for like a long time over the phone, just as friends. And we decided like, oh my gosh, we have to create something together. Like this would be so cool. And finally free was like born out of that like desire to do something together that would feel really empowering for women and help them get like clarity around food and help them to learn to love their bodies. So that is a, um, that's a 12 session, 12 video series that you get a lifetime membership to it. And it comes with hands out free session. And we have a, a private online community where we interact with the women who are involved in it. Um, and we launched it for like a limited period of time in, in 2015, but in 2016, it's just like open for enrollment at all times. So those are the two ways that I work with women, like really, um, really like intimately in the one-on-one six month coaching program. And then in more of like a group environment and finally free program. That's so exciting. Okay. So where can people find all that information? My website is simibodich.com and finally free program is finally free program.com. So easy to find. <laughs> Very easy. Exactly. Simi, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has been really fun. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yay. So that's our show. Thanks again so much to our guest for being here and to you guys for listening. We'll be back again in two weeks with another brand new episode. So be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Android or whatever your favorite podcast app is if you haven't done so already. Meanwhile, I'd love to stay in touch with you online. The best way is by email. So if you join my email VIP list, you'll get exclusive tips about intuitive eating and body positivity and updates about all my work as well as new episodes of the podcast. So if you go to christyharrison.com slash email, you can sign up there. That's christyharrison.com slash email. And I would love to have you guys all on my VIP list. And then you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Food Psych on Facebook and Food Psych Pod on Twitter. And then I am also on Instagram, just me this time. I don't have a separate account for the podcast, but I'm on Instagram at Christy Harrison. And the first I is a one. The music you're hearing behind me now is by a band called AWOL. And the track is called Food, used under the Creative Commons license. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, stay psyched. Stupid or scared, no work in the kitchen now Who put you there in that perfect position now? Booties want your food, and you ain't really beat Have you ever went over your friend's house, please?